Good morning. I'm gonna be speaking to the kids for the next few minutes. So if you have some kids or some grandkids in your home, go ahead and round them up, come sit on the couch. And adults, I want you to sit there with them so that you can hear what I'm saying and answer any questions that the kids may have. Okay, sounds great. So kids, I have a question for you. Have your parents ever done anything to really embarrass you? I guess probably they have because most parents can be embarrassing. I know my parents at your age were very embarrassing, but maybe you're out with your friends and you get yelled at by one of your parents in front of your friends. That is super embarrassing. Or as all parents do, maybe they're wearing something that you do not want to be seen with them while they're wearing. Or, I think this is the worst one, and probably all, this has happened to all of you kids, it's called the spit and polish. And what that means is your mom or your dad says, come here, come here, you've got something on your face. And they wipe it off like that. That is a totally embarrassing moment. Our parents seem to just have a knack for doing that to us. But what I want to tell you about today is about Noah in the Bible, and Noah had an embarrassing moment. You see, the time that I'm talking about is the flood was over, Noah had built the ark, the flood was over, the water was all gone, and the ground was dry, and all eight people came out of the ark. There was Noah and Noah's wife, Noah's oldest son, Shem, and his wife, Noah's middle son, Jahath, and his wife, and the last son, Ham, and his wife. I know, really crazy names. I think Ham is probably one of the craziest, but yes, Noah named his son Ham. Those were the people who had gotten on the ark and were saved from the flood. It was a new beginning. It was a fresh new day for all eight people, and they were there to make up for all the humans in the world. Now I have to tell you, Noah had walked with God for 600, yes, 600 years. And he had walked with God in a wicked world. Noah stood alone for God. He was the only man on earth that God wanted to save from the flood. And what happened? Noah did something that caused some sin in his life. I know it's shocking. It's disgraceful and it's unbelievable. Is this the same Noah that walked with God for 600 years and now he's letting sin come into his life? Yep, it's that same Noah. So Noah, it had been a while since he'd been on the ark with his family. They had made a home. Noah cultivated the ground and he planted a vineyard. And life was going well and then Noah did it. He let some sin creep into his life. Not only did that sin creep into Noah's life, but sin caused Noah to be in a very embarrassing situation. Now his youngest son, Ham, 
caught his father in that embarrassing situation, and Ham had a decision to make. Would he honor his father and keep this embarrassing situation to himself, or would he dishonor his father and tell people about it? Well, Ham chose the last choice. He ran to his other two brothers and he says, hey guys, come look, come on, I gotta show you what dad has done. You're not gonna believe it. When Ham's brothers saw what Ham was talking about, they felt bad for their father and they had great compassion for their dad. They wanted to help their father instead of laughing at him. You see, making their father feel bad, it was a sin and it was dishonoring to Noah. Those two brothers wanted to keep this embarrassing situation to themselves and not let anybody know. You see, they wanted to honor their father. Now, I have a question for you. When do we need to be the most careful with sin in our lives? I would say it's when the pressure's off. You see, before the ark was built and when Noah was working on it, and those 600 years that he honored God, he was surrounded by wickedness, but he was able to keep his faith and walk with God. Noah lived the right way during those 600 years, but when the storm was over, that's when Noah fell into sin. You see, when the pressure is off, our guard comes down. Constantly watching ourselves will help us to overcome sin. Sin is a lot like a nuclear chain reaction. One person's sin leads to another person's sin until there's a whole trail of devastation. So let's say you have a friend that treated you badly. Well, that made you mad and it made you have a bad day. So now you're on your way and you've been mean to somebody else. And that puts that person in a bad mood, and now they're angry, and you see the sin can just keep going and going and going, a whole trail that the one person created. It's easy to react to our sin by treating others badly and sinning, rather than responding with the love of Christ. Whenever you're wronged, either at home, at school, or at church, it's easy to retaliate rather than obey God. So be careful not to continue that chain reaction of sin. Ham took his father's most embarrassing moment, and he thought it was funny. He went out and told his brothers, not because he was concerned about his dad, but because he had the attitude of, hey, do you guys want to see something funny? Because of the way he acted, it didn't show that he felt bad. It showed that he disrespected his father, whose honor he was ruining. The Bible tells us that the other two brothers that were so careful were very different from Ham.
they loved their father and wanted to honor him. Because we live every day in a world of sin, you might say, okay, what's the big deal? Ham was just having a good time. I mean, come on, Pastor Georgia, it was all in fun. But making somebody feel bad and dishonoring our mom and dad, that's not okay. I recently read about a man who painted houses. And when he would start in the morning, the paint would be really strong. But after a few hours, he couldn't smell paint anymore. And the reason why, because he got used to that smell. When we're surrounded in a world of sin and yuckiness, after a while, we just don't notice it anymore. It's just what we see and what we do. Now, the only way to grow more sensitive to, to, to the sin in the world, the only way to grow more sensitive to sin is to be in God's word and to avoid needlessly being around sin. Now, of course, we live in a world and we have to be around sin. That's what we see every day. But we want to be careful not to get so used to it that it happens in our life. Now, one way is by reading God's Word, by reading the Bible. And when we read the Bible, we can obey God's commandments that He has here in the Bible for us. And if we read God's Word, it will light a fire inside of us and it'll help us run as fast as we can away from sin. Good evening, everybody. Thank you all so much for being here today and thank you for having me. My name is Pastor David and I am one of the children's pastors here at City View Church. Now today is a very special day because we are having family service. That's right, our kids are here with us today and we are honored by their presence. So kids, a very special thank you to you for being here today. And now our Bible story today is particularly relevant because it centers around that parent-child dynamic that we see here today and we see in the Bible story today. And that dynamic is, a, is a, a very important part of the image of family. Husband and wife, parents and children, mother and father, all are, are, are beautiful parts of the family dynamic, which as a whole is a crucial aspect of a biblical worldview. So with that in mind, let's, let's dig into the text and see what we can extract from today's Bible story. It comes to us from Genesis 9, 18 through 23. And it says, The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and took his clothes off in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, which is like clothes, laid it on their shoulders, and walked in backwards to cover their father. 
Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father. What? What did we just read? That is so weird, right? But newsflash for you, people are weird. And there's a lot of those things in the Bible. The Bible was written about people and for people. So it's okay if it's a little weird sometimes. So let's, let's talk about a little a bit of the context, the textual context of this story before we really get into it. Past couple weeks, we've been learning about Noah and his life. Noah was one of the patriarchs of the people of Israel and the children of God. And even though this small story takes place in the middle of his larger story, and even though Noah is an incredibly important biblical character, the focus of this story is actually Ham and his bad decisions. The badness of his actions are juxtaposed against the goodness of the actions of his brothers. Ham should have honored his father, but instead he brought shame upon his father's head. And there are a couple of details in this story that I want to highlight, which will help illuminate the badness of Ham's actions. So let's circle back to the text and talk about those. First of all, Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth are not the only names mentioned in this small Bible story. Twice the text identifies Ham as Ham, the father of Canaan. Ham was a father, which meant that he of all people should understand how a son ought to treat his father. So not only did he bring shame upon his father's head, but he went against his good conscience as a father, and he set a terrible example for his son to follow, how his son should treat him, his father. Let's also talk about Noah's location, right? This was not like David dancing before the Lord in full view of all the people. Noah was hidden in the privacy of his own tent. Now, to be fair, due to the situation, the whole camp probably could hear what was, there was something weird, something embarrassing happening, but Ham was the one who had the audacity to open the flap of that tent and see the embarrassing situation his father was in. <sighs> Shame on Ham. So we have to ask ourselves, why is this Bible story in the Bible? Because you know there was lots of things that happened in Bible times which were not put into the Bible. So why is it that when the events of this historical happening occurred, God said, yes, I want a record of this story to be placed in the book that I'm writing for my people because I want them to learn something. And whereas there are many life lessons we can teach using this story, I believe the reason it's in the Bible is to emphasize the value of how we ought to treat our parents. We are called to honor our parents, obey our parents, and love our parents. And those are the three points I want to get to today, so be watching for them. Honor our parents, obey our parents, and love our parents. Now don't be fooled. 
Honoring our parents is no mere juvenile requirement placed solely upon the lives of children. Like I said at the top of this sermon, the family dynamic as a whole is a crucial aspect of a biblical worldview. So why is it so important for us to honor our parents? Well, to put it frankly, because God commands it. And that by itself is totally sufficient. We know in the Ten Commandments, it straight up says, honor your mother and your father. Literally, explicitly, what we're talking about today. And that is the weight of God's commands. And no matter what the reason, it is always when God commands us to do something, we must do that thing. But one of the beautiful aspects of God's character is that nothing he says is ever arbitrary. All of his commands have concrete reason and justification behind them. Now, we might not always understand those reasons, but they're always there. God always has excellent reasons behind things he commands us to do. Which leads us to our second point. Logically, it follows that we ought to obey our parents because they know more than us. And at first glance, this reason seems to scale with how young we are, because obviously parents of young children know more than their kids. Let me give you guys an example. When I was young, maybe five or six or so, we went for a walk around the block. And when we got about halfway around, we came across a fascinating looking plant. And as an inquisitive child, I wanted to touch that plant. But my mom said, David, that is a cactus. Do not touch the cactus. And I had my finger extended and you could see the wheels turning in my head. Hmm, hmm. And the obvious ensued. Dink. Ah, ah, I should have listened to my mother because she knows more than me. But once we're adults, at some point, our parents have nothing left to teach us, right? Who here can confidently say they know everything their parents know and more? Hmm? Hmm? Nobody, of course not, because that is a preposterous notion. Only in those rebellious, strange middle years do people fallaciously think they know more than their parents. The moral of the story is obey our parents. Why? Because they know more than us and because they love us. Which brings us to our third point. We ought to love our parents. And there is, of course, a million reasons why we should love our parents. But of all those reasons, my favorite is this. We ought to love our parents because they first loved us. Way before our first job or our first day of school, before we opened our eyes for the first time or took our first breath, our parents' love for us was already over us like a blanket. And in the presence of such strong, solid love, we ought to return that love upon our parents. And that reminds me of one of the most telling Bible verses about God's love. In Romans 5, 8, 
It tells us that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. That's right. So just as our, our parents loved us before we loved them, Jesus loved us way before we loved him. And in case you haven't seen it coming, this is the ultimate point towards which I've been working today. Since God is our Father, everything we've said about the treatment of our parents primarily applies to God Himself. We ought to honor, obey, and love our parents, and in the same way we ought to honor, obey, and love God Almighty. We honor our parents because they are superior to us. But God's superiority is supreme, leading us to honor Him. And we obey our parents because they usually know more than we do. But God's knowledge and understanding is infinite, leading us to obey Him. And of course, we love our parents because they first loved us. But God's love for us precedes everything. In Psalms 139, verse 13, it tells us that God is the one who carefully knit us together inside of our mother's womb. But God's love for us comes from even way before then. In Ephesians 1, 4, it tells us that He chose us before the creation of the world. And it is His love which leads us to love Him. So in our relationship with our parents, God has embedded a beautiful metaphor pointing us towards He Himself. So there we have it. We honor, obey, and love our parents because we honor, obey, and love God our Father.